Welcome in, everybody. It is a surprise Sugar Bowl recap. We weren't planning on being here, but Kyle and I were just way too excited about Texas's win to leave you without some audio content. Plus, we needed an excuse to talk to each other about it, uh, not via text. So we're here. But before we get started, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton get the show out there. You can share it wherever you found it, whether it's Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast server is, subscribe, share it with your friends, your coworkers, anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn news and sports. We also like to remind you that our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services. All you got to do is go to Podient, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn to get 14 days of free premium services and 25% off an already affordable premium membership. They handle all the technical side of podcasting for you. All you got to do is record, edit, and upload, and they take care of the rest. They send it out to all of those podcast hosts we mentioned earlier, and they get you all taken care of. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who is feeling good, feeling fine. He's on New Orleans time, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? It's been a long time. Get it, boy. A long time coming. Ooh, high notes. Just skip forward if you don't like my singing. The chain's gonna come. No, I, I will spare you. The Sam Cooke is uh, an all-time favorite. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Texas is back. Um, I will spare the, the trick daddy part I had where CeeLo sings sugar on my tongue. But it is sugary sweet today, Gerald. New Orleans, my favorite city. The city where last year I proposed to my now fiancé this year. 2019, I will be getting married in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it's also where Texas officially got its groove back. Um, I, life is sweet, sweet, sweet right now, Gerald. As, as sugary sweet as it could be eating all of that uh, beautiful, delicious SEC. How are you feeling right now, Big G? Man, I'm fantastic because as someone who was – on campus when Texas was at its best and as somebody who left campus right around the time that Texas started to have the whole post Colt McCoy downturn. We'll just call it, we'll just call it what it is. Um, Man, I'm glad to see Texas finally doing it. They won their first uh, New Year's Six Bowl since 2008, which should have been a national championship. And they obviously hit 10 wins for the first time since the 2009 should have been a national championship with the win over the Georgia Bulldogs. The score, my friend, does not indicate how lopsided this game truly was. Let's just get that out there on Front Street. Texas was up 28-7 to on the second-best team in the vaunted SEC. I'm just going to throw this out there as well. Pettiness, trigger warning. If you get triggered by people being petty about the SEC and the narrative that surrounds the SEC, go ahead and skip this episode. You already downloaded it, so we get credit for you listening to it anyway. <laughs> but if you feel bad for us getting petty about the SEC, then stop listening. If you're on the pettiness journey, then we will continue. But so Texas went up big, played a little bit of defense against a vaunted SEC offense, put up some points on a vaunted SEC defense and managed to come away with a seven point win because Texas just likes to make fourth quarters interesting. So Kyle, the defense feels like the story here. So let's start with the defense and we'll, uh, we'll go from there and see where the conversation leads. But Texas put the boots to, to Georgia defensively. So let's start there. What was the, what was the deciding factor or the biggest factor that stuck out to you uh, defensively for Texas? Yeah. Well, I mean, when we typically talk about Texas, it feels like we've been talking about, they won one of, 
you know, the phases of the game. And again, when I say phases, I'm talking about the patented Kyle Carpenter six phases of football, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, social media, and mascots. And so Texas won actually all six of those. Um, it's heavy on the, the Texas mascots. Texas won mascots early. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. You knock that right out big and, and early, you know, and, and I love that pettiness has, has been all around. I mean, Bevo himself was was petty Hardaway. He's he's the uh, he's he's the the big bull uh, on campus in this in this scenario. But no, uh, the defense is the biggest one. I think that's the one that I, I'm not going to sit here and say the defense carried the team. But I think the defense was the one that we had the biggest um, question mark about how they could handle uh, what up to this point seemed like an unbelievable Georgia offense that, that, you know, no one in the country could slow down uh, Alabama really included um, Georgia, you know, we, we uh, in the preview pod, we said, you know, 35 points. If Texas offense can get to 35 points, we know the defense is going to give some up. Uh, well, the offense didn't get to that, but they didn't have to. Um, and they probably should have with some of the turnovers and, and field position that special teams and defense gave them. Uh, but the defense, changed the entire story of this game um and i think that starts right at the top with todd orlando i think an unbelievable scheme um bringing you know pressure from all different places just um came in and made made them you know beat them took away their their greatest weapon um you don't really get to face this type of offense in in the big 12 very much um we'll see with less miles coming but but a, a team that just lines up and, and runs the ball really well i was most worried um about you know if they flexed out that tight end they have a pretty good tight end in now and some others um and and spread us out because they have some weapons but um i think georgia was a little bit stubborn in that they for a while thought they were just the bigger physical faster hashtag sec team um and Orlando kind of played into that. You know, he loaded the box up and said, said beat it. He had some really incredible blitzes, some schemes um, that I think they weren't ready for. They hadn't seen. They really, no one had seen. He'd, he'd been um, saving them up. I, Jake Fromm, after the game in his interview, said, uh, I loved it. He said they did an excellent job of eye deception, which I think is such a wonderful way to say that, that just the different looks, you know, it looks like, oh, blitz is coming here. Oh, zone blitz. Actually, they, they rolled it on the other side. They ran that tight front um, and just, you know, could kind of send guys from anywhere and everywhere. And Georgia never quite figured out where it was coming from or at least didn't do it in time uh, of this game so I think the the biggest tip of the cap uh, right off the bat has to go to a an unbelievable scheme game plan and of course the execution of that game plan I don't want to you know take anything away from an incredible job by these players and a lot of seniors who were playing their heart out uh, but I think you have to start right at the top with the coaching I think just unbelievable job from Orlando earned every bit of his paycheck and announced himself if for some reason people had been under a rock uh, but to the country as one of the best defensive coordinators for sure and I think schematically they did they did they made the decision that I think we're going to shut down the run we're going to play all out against the run and, and put the game on entirely on Jake Fromm's shoulders which again I was talking to a friend of the show Mario who's an SEC guy and he was giving the rundown that basically there are two Jake Fromms that you get. You get good Jake who will kill you and bad Jake who will kill Georgia. And I think he was gambling that they would end up getting bad Jake. And what happened was a couple of things because in spite of wanting to force Jake Fromm to beat you, they found a way to dial up the pressure in creative ways on passing downs to keep Jake Fromm from getting comfortable because you saw he overthrew three touchdowns. Like I'm, I'm not under any illusions that Jake Fromm just flat missed three touchdowns but that was because there was pressure there were hands in his face he was throwing off his back foot because he could never get set and so he overthrew wide open receivers on the flip side of that the texas defensive backs 
played as well as they have all season. And probably because, and again, this is not a shot at the incredible athletes of the SEC, there aren't any receivers as good as they're going to see every week in the Big 12. There just isn't. The Big 12 is a receivers and quarterbacks league. And so having to cover Iowa State's wide receivers or OU's wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. I mean, yeah. You could name basically any team that's not Kansas or Baylor at this point and say if Kansas State probably is uh, the accurate one. And, and Baylor. I mean, I, Baylor. Baylor's receivers could Denzel step in the Mims. SEC today and have the second best receiving core in that conference. So, I mean, it's they're, literally there. there is yeah. two teams that you could take off. There's eight teams that would be better than anyone not named Alabama uh, at that skill position. And you can you can quote tweet us if you'd like. Uh, of course, I'm at GH Goodrich. You can tweet me. I am all for the Twitter smoke. It's great. I'm definitely a keyboard gangster. No, but so they. <laughs> prepared every week to cover better receivers right. because they had to cover better receivers and so that that was I think a gamble and I think Todd Orlando knew that going into it was there's not going to be a guy like Hollywood Brown on this Georgia uh, receiving core there's not a Denzel Mims on this Georgia receiving core and so they were willing to take that risk and it paid off Chris Boyd played his best game of the season oh, yeah. I think PJ Locke played his best game of the season certainly Devontae Davis, best game of the season, hands down. Like, because they, they, they played for 13 games against incredible passing attacks, and it played out to their favor. The thing that I want to talk about, and then I'll let you talk again, uh, is the way that Texas neutralized the run. I'm a big stats guy, and so I looked at it. So Georgia averaged 2.4 yards per attempt. That was 30 attempts for 72 yards, which was the lowest total since August of 2017 when Georgia got dismantled 40 to 17 at the hands of the Auburn Tigers. I love this that. This was just the second time this season that Georgia was held without a rushing touchdown. And that was a 43 to 29 win over the Missouri Tigers. Georgia was able to win that game because they had both a defensive and a special teams touchdown. DeAndre Swift, which every good player on this Georgia team is named DeAndre apparently. Um, <laughs> had a 12-yard performance, which is the second lowest total of his career. Not of the season, of his stinking career. And he had his first fumble, two fumbles, of the season mm -hmm. in the first quarter of this game. Yeah, Texas flat dominated the Georgia run game. There's no two ways to say it. There, there's no other way to communicate that other than the Texas run defense, which we thought was going to be suspect against one of the best pairs of running backs in the country was absolutely dominant. Yeah, you, you can't ask where's the beef in this one. I mean, we, we kind of – we'll talk about our offensive line when we get to it, but our defensive line may have been the most impressive unit for – the amount that they got up for this game. And again, with the, the good uh, scheme to, to help them out in, in all ways possible. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like Nelson played a fantastic game, just being big in the middle. It, it, he was such a focal point uh, because they moved guys all around. Um, he just kind of had to eat up blockers, hold up space, um, set the, set the line of, you know, the point of attack in the line of scrimmage, like Puna Ford um, is now making a name in the NFL for doing, um, you know, I think it's funny because you really talked about two things there Texas kind of went right to the head of the snake they looked at Georgia's two best players they looked at DeAndre Swift and they looked at Jake Fromm and they said we're just going to punch them straight in the mouth really early um you I think the best tweet of the entire night and I have to give you credit for this I don't think it got enough love you said Jake Fromm has definitively proved that uh that you you can't complete passes with clenched butt cheeks you know and and I think it's hilarious, but it's it's pretty true, which is what makes it so fantastic. Um, Braum missed some throws, sure, 
but he also got BJ Fostered upside his head a couple times. Um, he had Anthony Wheeler Lopping just heads off. absolutely bicepping him to death. He had Gary Johnson near him all the time. Omenahu, you know, putting the pressure on. Uh, Nelson, you know, got in there, got in there a little bit. I mean, it, it, he got beat up as as much as I have seen him all year get his jersey dirty and then with Swift you know immediately coming in and just hitting him hitting him hard stuffing him and then needing that ball out fumbling twice shook him I mean you literally took their two best players hit them hard hit them often um and and kind of neutered the entire Georgia offensive unit they just they were shell-shocked I mean I you could say that it's luck uh that the balls bounce Texas way but one of my favorite quotes is from uh a man you may have heard of Mr. Louis Pasteur uh chance favors the prepared mind they you 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 can make your own luck a little bit when you are the one in position when you are the one uh out there doing the right things the balls are probably going to bounce your way and you're in a better position to uh to pick them up which you know Gary Johnson himself was thinking that as he went for the the scoop and score instead of just the recovery which could have been another turnover but Texas won the turnover back they they forced three fum or two fumbles, recovered one of them, and had an interception. They could have had three turnovers, um, which is fantastic. You know, they, all kudos to the secondary playing within themselves. No blown coverages, um, even when they had a lot of single coverage. The physicality on the inside from from a lot of the guys. Um, I think our two linebackers, especially or three, really put Roach in that group, but especially Wheeler um, and Gary Johnson were just locked in, ready for their last games to to write that legacy. Um, and then you know, I, I think I think Omenahu probably made you know, another million dollars last night on that game. Cause there's going to be a lot of coaches watching that tape um, and played a fantastic game. I mean, I, I just don't know if you can put a point on it more fine than that. The defense played a fantastic game. One team was physical, faster, stronger, better athletes from a, you know, from a, a, a standpoint that if I said those things before the game, you know, I would be like an ESPN commentator and I would be talking about Georgia, but that was not the case. That was the university of Texas defense. And you mentioned the turnovers and and having knowledge before the game. If you had told me Monday morning that Texas would turn Georgia over twice, I'd tell you that they won. Yeah. Like, if I had known that fact going in, and this is a conversation I had with with a friend of the show, Jamie Hayes, on Twitter. Texas this year was 4-4 and when they had one or no turnovers. Going into the game, Texas was 5-0 and when they turned a team over twice or more. So this game made them 6-0 and on the season. So... Texas's ability to turn a team over. I think Tom Herman uh, did the math in one of his pressers. and was like, Texas is scoring like 4.3 points per turnover or something dumb like that. So you turn the ball over twice. That's a, that's a touchdown. And Texas won by a touchdown. So that to me is the differentiator right there it is Texas's ability to take the ball away from Georgia. Now I wish they had capitalized on some good field position early and some turnovers mm-hmm. early. They didn't do as good of a job there, but that when the defense has a stranglehold and the offense is trying to put something together and you take the ball back, that is deflating. And you saw the Georgia offense deflate early because of those fumbles. Yeah, and like you said, I think they didn't squeeze all the juice out of that orange, but I think that's really just a, a symptom of, of Tom Herman, who I'm, I'm going to dub a new nickname here on this program. He's now TNT. He knows drama. Um, Tom, uh, Tom, sorry, Daryl almost choked. That's the reaction I wanted. Uh, <laughs> Tom Herman... You know, has a knack for making these games close. We talked about it in the preview pod. That's going to be a thing that that benefits Texas. This game wasn't as close as it ended up being, but it's seventeen to zero. That's the least comfortable I've ever been in my life with a seventeen to zero lead because you felt like they could have and should have um, probably gotten more 
out of it. But I think, you know, that's probably a good point to transition and talk about our offense did do some really good things. Um, and I think, you know, they were the better, more well-rounded, more complete unit in this game. And I think, you know, again, starting right at the top, I think that starts with Sam Ellinger, bad, bad, bad man. Sam Ellinger is going to be an all-timer at Texas. I'm just going to say it. Sam Ellinger is going to be an all-timer. And and here's here's the proof. One, anytime you can say you have a higher total than Vince Young in something, that right there puts you in rarefied air. So he broke Vince Young and uh, Don Whittington's record for most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a single season. So his 15th rushing touchdown did that. That one that, honestly, he probably should have 17 because he scored on all three of those downs. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, he also, this, this is the thing that Sam Ellinger, like, this, this is really what solidified for me how good this, this year was. In the last 20 years... There have been six quarterbacks that have passed for more than 25 touchdowns and more than 15 rushing touchdowns. Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, Marcus Mariota, Sam Ellinger. Wow. So your your Heisman pick is is a lock there. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. How could he not? He's the only one that has not won a Heisman trophy yet. Wow. The only one. That's insane to me. Like the fa- that's how good Sam Ellinger was. And as somebody that went on this very podcast and said that Shane Bouchelle was the guy, I want to formally apologize to everyone. Um, we've already done that, but I still, every time Sam Ellinger surprises us, I feel the need to apologize for it. Um, and my, I missed all my Potsdamas pick because I picked the wrong type of touchdown. I assumed that they would spam little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson when, in fact, Sam Ellinger just decided to put the team on his back and, and run all of those in. So the three touchdowns came via the ground, not the air. So I'll call it a halfy. We'll say <laughs> I got halfway there. Um, but, like, Ellinger is a special talent. Now, I want the running game to develop so he doesn't have to carry everything next year. So it can be more of a situational thing. Um, Losing Trey Watson, who almost had a 100-yard game, I'm super mad that he did not, um, is going to hurt. Keontae Ingram had probably one of his his poorest performances of the year. He said that after the game that he was pretty frustrated with his performance, and I get that his vision was a little weird. Uh, But the fact that You've got Ingram. You're going to have Danny Young coming back, presumably. Um, Darian Brown joining the fold. Hopefully a grad transfer as well. Uh, That, to me, is going to be um, a differentiator next year. And we'll talk more about that uh, in our normal, regularly scheduled podcast that'll hit your ears on Tuesday, uh, what next year looks like. But to focus on this year, Sam Ellinger was special, and he was special again. And it's part of the reason why the Texas offense was so potent. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at just the stats, right? 19 for 27, he had eight incompletions for, you know, uh, under 200 yards passing. Um, But it, it was situational. It was when it was needed, he always did it. He capitalized um, on the good field position, turned it into points. The first drive was was absolute pure perfection. I mean, it it, it was scripted wonderfully. It was executed wonderfully, completed the passes they needed to. I loved the little screen call. Um, they just kind of got down, and then quickly, as soon as they knew they were there, um, they they got Ellinger in into position to, to do what he does, which is just bulldoze um, the best, and I'm using air quotes here, um, linebackers and, and defensive linemen. Listeners. Yeah, in the in the in the country. I mean, just ran them over for that first touchdown to get into the end zone. Um, 
you got to know it's coming. I mean, it, like I said, they, they've, they've seen Tim Tebow. He himself, who, when the camera cut to him after his Sam run, was uh, going over the nuances of, of a batting swing with a guy who I'm going to call uh, Beefy Von uh, No Neck. Um, just some some giant meathead who who made Tim Tebow look small. Um, but Tim Tebow clearly, you know, said Sam's the football player. I guess I'm now the baseball guy, and seeded that to him is what I'm going to assume uh, that conversation meant. But but nonetheless, uh, you know, he did it every time you needed it. I mean, of his eight incompletions, I would say there was a Beck drop. I know there was you know a couple throwaways. Uh, there was a Duvernay drop that was pretty close. There was a Colin Johnson, you know, great. Uh, defensive play just to barely couldn't get a hold of it I mean they were on the money he did have the almost interception um, throw but for the most part he was on when he needed to be especially on third downs and the decision making on when to run Um, you know there was the play that's third and ten nothing's out there they great coverage broke it down and he looks up the field and I can literally see him like the music changed you know it it all of a sudden went into like a street fighter like the kind of intense music and he just locked on um, like Bevo on a red Ugga jersey and just went straight the guys were standing at the 10 yard mark that were the first down and he ran straight full speed into a linebacker who was standing at that mark and bulldozed him over and then fell forward for the 10th and final yard before you know that was immediately proceeding four consecutive runs down their throat um and then a two-point conversion to colin johnson that i think he should have uh probably if if beck really wanted to rub it in gone for the sixth consecutive ellinger just to really rub their noses in it for the two-point conversion but it was a great, nonetheless, series of plays that showed what Ellinger can do. And that's toughness, competitiveness, will to win uh, that are all unparalleled. I mean, the guy, he we've seen it this season. He literally, and I use that in the correct way, literally bleeds for this university. Uh, a buddy of mine calls him Ellen God. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's a fair fair nickname by the time he's done uh, here on the 40 acres what he what he could potentially accomplish but he just that competitiveness and, and not to be cliched but the will to win and, and literally erase whatever stands in between him you know whether that's a giant player for the other team uh, or, or whatever hurdle he has to get through to get there he just does it um, and and you know I, I think we don't want to overlook the fact that he also had a catch in this game. So he did, uh, you know, did, did a couple of the sub phases of one of my six phases of football. Um, so, you know, I, I think just a fantastic game from him and a true winner's performance. Um, but I do think that like you mentioned, um, Winning the rushing battle by 100, obviously Sam's included in that, but I think the part we didn't necessarily see was Trey Watson. I'm so, so happy, like you said, for him. Um, But in a million years, would you have guessed that at the end of this game, the player who was the most dominant running back by exponents off both teams was Trey Watson? Not not at all. And and you and I have openly stand for Trey Watson for probably, what, three months now the look of him the way he plays his build he does not look like the tough yardage guy and then he goes in and really they the the longhorns have been calling these those culture plays and he is the culture play guy where he's he's not scared of anybody he's gonna put his nose in there and he's gonna push you for four yards and that's that's what he does and and i think the most impressive run uh it was late texas was trying to kind of squeeze some life out of the game he gets the handoff, everything's caught inside, and he bounces it outside, catches an edge against this super quick, super physical SEC defense, 
gets nine yards, pops a guy, gets the last one, and and Texas is able to, to keep the drive alive. Like that to me was emblematic of how dominant the he was in in the ground game. And after the game, he took some shots at Ricky Williams on the Longhorn Network set uh, by re- asking Ricky and reminding Ricky who he said were the better running backs going into the game. Which again, as as your preeminent source for college football pettiness, we co-sign that agreement there. Um, but the fact of the matter is like Trey Watson was that dude. There's no other way to say it. Like he was the dude in the Texas running game. As much as Sam Ellinger um, was the focal point in a lot of goal line situations, they do not move the ball. They do not have a running threat without the way Trey Watson plays yesterday. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that, that play that that you mentioned was, was one of the two. The other one was uh, that they really stood out to me was on the, uh, I think they, they tried to first, they were trying to run the clock late in the game. Um, and, and on first down, uh, Sam kind of had a no gain. They kept the clock running second and 10, get a little worried. Like we can't give the ball right back to the momentum. Um, and, and Watson takes it and just breaks about six or seven yards after the tackle to get a first down plowing right through the middle of that Georgia, the heart of that Georgia defense. Um, and I think both of those plays are indicative of two things. And of course, one that we're talking about is Watson running with his absolute, you know, every ounce of his 170 pounds or whatever. Um, you know, maybe he wears weighted shoes, but the man, he is more than the sum of his parts when he gets downhill. Um, but I think the other thing is absolutely the play of the Texas offensive line. And I think, you know, we talked about it with the defensive line probably punching the most above their weight or what we expected. The offensive line, we said, has been very, very, very good this year, and Herb Hand deserves all the credit in the world, but they played well. This was just to say, is it true? Can we believe that? Are they actually as good? And they probably played, I mean, I, I would say it, their best game of the season. And some of that credit goes to the, you know, back in hand. They ran some interesting schemes, you know, some interesting blocking schemes, whether it was, you know, looping guys inside on some poles or some uh, some interesting switches. Um then they actually lined up tackles on the inside a couple times, flipped Vahe uh, and Calvin Anderson. I think they flipped Cosme on the other side, just doing some really interesting stuff, like giving Georgia different looks, getting the matchups that they wanted. I think that's incredible. Like they, they just had confidence that they were willing to try some things and they'd really clearly schemed. And then they executed so unbelievable. And just last thing on that Watson run that you said he had an incredible play by bouncing it outside. But Cosme, that was his block of the the game for me. He was dealing with, again, an all-SEC, you know, pretty much guaranteed uh, player on Sundays across from him. He did pretty well all game, held up very well. But on that one, he pushed him back, pushed him back five yards to the point where he had, he had pushed the guy out of the play, went to get the next guy downhill, allowed Watson to bounce it out, and the only guy in front of him was the guy he ended up trucking, you know, down downfield. And so, I mean... That that nastiness, that that ability to be a mauler is that next step you want to see from Cosme. From what I saw in this game, again, not a perfect game, but a very, very, very good game from him against very stiff competition, tells me that Cosme can be as every bit as good a college player and have every bit as much potential on Sundays as a guy who recently, you know, filled the opposite tackle uh, from from him and Connor Williams. Yeah, Cosme was rated the, the in the top five of the play top five players by uh, by uh, Pro Football Focus in this game. He had I think almost an eighty percent uh, rating or an eighty rating. It's not a percentage, which is weird. But anywho, um, like. I I could talk all day about Sam Cosme's blocking. The way he uses his body to seal holes is incredible. Um, He puts his body between the defender and the ball carrier in a way that 
looks like it's natural and you know it was coached, but the fact that he does it so well is just incredible. Um, but yeah, the blocking scheme, I I don't know if any money in the offseason was spent better than bringing Herb Hand in. I don't know if there's any better money spent by by this Texas staff. I love the locker room renovations. I love all the changes. I love the light wall. It's helping with recruiting. But Herb Hand's ability to, one, coach up guys who struggled last year, because Vahe was inconsistent last year. Like Some of these guys did not play well last year. But the fact that he came in and got the best out of these guys, Vahe, a four-year starter, had one of his best games that I've seen him play. Yep. Calvin Anderson, who has, you know, he, he had some good games. He had some struggle games, was solid throughout. Cosme did his, did the dang thing. Like Texas dominated a Georgia defensive line that people were concerned was going to just absolutely abuse this offensive line. And the fact of the matter is like, again, Texas is not successful if the offensive line doesn't do a good job. They were showing on the, the broadcast how clean some of the pockets Sam Ellinger had. Like, dude did not have to scramble if he didn't want to. I mean, in in I mean, there was plays when when they they held and in the just a quick aside, the commentators Blackledge and other it seemed like they hadn't even watched tape on this game. It was frustrating coming in. You know, they they said various things like, "Well, Texas is one of the worst running teams. They can't run the ball at all," which is just so ridiculous. They run the ball when they need to, and they run it very well, especially killing clocks uh, and doing those things. But anyways, that aside, um, you know, they were saying how overmatched they they were and just really didn't have a feel for it. I mean, there was plays. Uh, there was one when when after five seconds, you know, of, of no pocket, Ellinger ended up scrambling, or five seconds of pocket, Ellinger ended up scrambling. That certainly happened when there's good coverage downfield. That's the thing about, you know, one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country. Um, but, you know, the the play where Ellinger ducked, where he had pressure on his backside, ducked underneath it and scrambled was an all-timer. Um, but there was also plays when, you know, vaunted defensive ends uh, were coming in and Cosme literally took where, you know, he lowered arms and just, you know, it's a great tackle technique uh, when, when you know, the long arm comes down, just swipe that arm down and the head and shoulders go with it. Oh, there's an enormous passing lane. Uh, Ellinger immediately passed right through that window, uh, hit LJH and on one of his many third down slants to move the chains. I mean, just that type of stuff. It's a little play. If you're just watching the game or seeing the stat sheet, it's, hey, Lil Jordan Humphrey, who did have a good game. He came up very timely. But it's, hey, Lil Jordan Humphrey made a play. But what really happened is Ellinger made the read, made the throw, and the offensive line gave him every opportunity to do that. That's what a good offense is. That's what a well-balanced, well-oiled, fully functioning offense is. And that's what Texas had in this game. They were a complete unit. Um, Sam Ellinger himself also a massive unit as the British would say just a giant giant man but a complete unit on that side of the ball um, and I think I think that's you know we talked a lot about the defense we've now talked a lot about the offense and I think deservedly so because they they dominated both of those two major facets of the game so so let's jump in and let's talk this because one of the things that you and I uh, talked about a lot this season was the legacy of this senior class um, we talked about it as a deciding factor in a lot of games, and this is a senior class that came to Texas under Charlie Strong, and they came to Texas with the goal of bringing Texas back. And this is a t- this is a senior class that, in their sophomore year, lost to Kansas on the road. One of the defining images of the last five to ten years is the Charles Amena who freak out after the Kansas game. And freak out doesn't doesn't really define what it is. The man was mad. 
they were trying to win for their coach. They squeezed it too hard. And just like in of mice and men, Lenny squeezed too hard. That's not actually what happened in the, it's fun. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. So I had to take a shot. I hadn't taken a shot at Tom Herman all, all get all podcasts. So I had to, um, but two years later, this same group of seniors came back, took Texas to a new year six bowl for the first time in a decade and beat a team that everybody said they shouldn't have. Yep. So what is the legacy of this group of seniors as they collect their T rings and their diplomas and, and make their way off of the 40 acres? Like what is, what is the legacy of this group? We're back. I mean, honestly, they brought Texas bike. You look at the names on, on that kind of senior list. The one that stands out to me may not, may not be the one who had the most production this year, but you look at a guy like a Gerard Hurd. Talk about a kid who could have transferred, could have played anywhere. He was one of the top high school quarterback recruits in the country. Had some of the single most productive games at that position in the history of Texas football. Was asked to move to another position. Got usurped on the depth chart at that position. Did he pout? Did he become a cancer? Was he a detriment to the team? Never. He was a locker room leader. He was a guy who players looked to and respected. And he led this team because it meant enough to him to see it through to the end, to see this Texas get back to where it belongs as one of the elite teams in the country. I mean, Chris Boyd, up and down, sure. Got a lot of flack at times, but a leader, a vocal leader. Omeno, who you just talked about. Nelson, a guy who graduated, became a captain, just really performed on the field at a position that everyone said, well, without Puna, what's going to happen there? You know, the linebacking core with Wheeler and, and Johnson. You look like you said at Vahe. Um, you know, Trey Watson and Calvin Anderson, two guys who are probably two of the most successful grad transfers in Big 12 history. Um I don't, you know, good luck finding uh, guys who, who come to mind, you know, who are immediately better for sure, but just fantastic contributors get to, like, always be Longhorns. They are forever ingrained and enmeshed in this. Um, Beck, a captain, again, who just did all the right things, gave the team some nasty, um, showed the, you know, the incredible stuff off the field this week with the sign language, just a good guy. Uh, and, and that's it. This team was high-character guys who bought in. You know, Tom Herman's had some issues. People made some jokes, said some things, but he taught alignment. He said, we all get in line. We all do the same things. He taught finish. They're starting to do that. He taught, you know, one and oh, and, and, you know, they, they really looked at it. It looked like they, they, you know, tried to go out and win every game. Um, you know, but he said something in this, after this game, he said, you know, and, and it's not a shot at Charlie. I, I very much respect Charlie. I love Charlie. Um, but he said, you know, this went from, this became a player led team from being a coach fed team, which is a great line. But, I mean, I think it's correct. Mac Brown had a player-led teams, and, and it, I think it went all the way to the nth degree to where that got to be a little bit from confidence to cockiness to arrogance to, you know, if you don't have the, the you know, the, the best, some of the best players of all time, that can be troublesome. And then it went to Tom, or excuse me, to, to Charlie kind of trying to change the culture of the program and put some things back. This is now a combination of all those efforts of the past few years, especially with this group, who – before last year hadn't gone to a bowl, you know, then they, they win the Texas bowl. Then they go to the new Year's six bowl. They win 10 wins, five of them against teams that have a rank, a number next to their name this season. Don't overlook that. They beat some good teams. Um, and they leave a legacy where all the guys who are juniors down to freshmen, down to recruits, down to high school kids who are watching Texas. If they don't remember all these players names, they will at least remember where they left the program and what Texas means that that name on the back isn't as important as the name in the front. 
For sure. And and this guy is not a senior, but you'll see where I'm going here in just a second. After the game, um, Malcolm Roach was, was a, a guy that a lot of people talked to. One, because he played an incredible game. Two, he's from Baton Rouge, so uh, he's one of the Louisiana guys. And he said that after the, the Kansas loss, guys were basically trying to figure out if they wanted to stay at Texas. Mm-hmm. If they want to stay at Texas and, and guys that you mentioned, guys like Gerard Hurd, guys like Patrick Vahe, guys like Anthony Wheeler, guys like, you know, Chris Boyd, who have NFL futures or have some sort of post collegiate play, whether it's NFL or the new American athletic football, whatever the AAF, whatever that is, um, they have some sort of future. They could have cut bait and jump ship and nobody would have blamed them. Because it was a tire fire. It absolutely was. There's no two ways around that. And the fact that they were able to stay, have a tumultuous season with a first coach because there wasn't all the buy-in. Finally buy-in and see the results, the potential for impact that these guys can have is going to last past their four years. This is something that I talk to students about all the time. Your decisions in your senior year don't just affect your senior year, but it affects the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen because they're looking to you for their cues Mm -hmm. and they're going to act like you act as seniors. And it's going to continue and cascade down the line as the culture continues to perpetuate itself. So the fact that those guys stayed bought in, those guys stayed engage or decided to engage is is huge and it's going to pay dividends hopefully for years to come yeah i mean i I, like i said i I think you you nailed it we'll talk about it next week we will see what's what's here what's left after you know a a really incredible group of seniors leaves we will see how those who's going to step up how those players are shaped and molded by this but we'll also see there's a ton of talent that taking that mentality that those seniors instilled with that talent pool that's in there could do some great things. And we'll talk about that next week. Um, you know, one more thing I just wanted to touch because, you know, what I kind of jokingly said there's many facets, but one that we don't talk about as much on this game is the special teams. And I think the field position was a huge part of this game. Dicker set the record for freshman field goals made this year. He was he was two for three. He didn't miss kind of the, the icing on the cake one, but but made two for two when it really counted, two for two from extra points. Um, but Buczewski, who's who's been a little bit up and down, looked like, you know, the Texas-Australian guys in, in bowl games under Tom Herman, which is a pretty unbelievable legacy. Don't forget, Michael Dixon is the, the only punter to ever win MVP of a game and deserve it um, 100%. But he had the game icing punt, you know, that, that they were for sure coming to block, and he put a, a butte down, you know, just – and, and and truly, you know, by not making the mistakes, as you saw Georgia, probably the biggest play of the game for me when, when it kind of said, whoa, we might actually do this thing was when the punter bended, uh, bend the knee uh, before um, Tom, when he said Dracaris, um, he bent the knee and, and it was a 70 yard swing in possession. Um, and, and, you know, Texas didn't get the testimony, was able to capitalize with a few points on the board. And, and we didn't have that big boneheaded mistake. We didn't beat ourselves. We beat Georgia and that's big. You know, we, we had the chance for any of those, uh, position groups to beat themselves. And that be the reason that we're, you know, sitting here lamenting and they didn't. And that's huge. One, if people only listen to this podcast and not my other podcast, they would think that you're the nerd of the two of us. Kyle, I just <laughs> want to point that out. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the the play of the game for me from the special teams was the the end of the first half punt from Bushevsky, mm-hmm. where Kirby Smart calls his timeouts because 
you don't get to take them with you, which I totally agree with the strategy. And then he punts one and it's just the dribbler. It, it gets enough yardage and then it dribbles out the clock like that mm-hmm. to me was was a tone setter like mm-hmm. texas was doing everything it needed to like when that went the because i this is the pessimism in me kind of beaten into me by 32 years of being a miami dolphins fan <laughs> i assumed that one of those buschewski punts was going to happen where he just kind of shanks an inopportune one it goes out of bounds it's a seven yard punt that happened to georgia which praise the lord yes and amen <laughs> um like that texas was just on and there's no two ways to, to say it. Like, Texas was just, just on and better than Georgia in every facet of the game. Yeah, and that's, like I said, that's where those young guys are both coming back in those positions. You have freshmen. They're only going to get better. You have a lot of our returners this year. We had Jameson and some other guys who were young guys were young guys who were only going to get better. That unit, along with, you know, really our offense, are for sure only going to get better. And so, again... I am I'm psyched. I'm ready to I'm ready to do our next podcast. Let's start talking about next year. Like football can't be over, man. It's too sweet right now. Like Kyle alluded to, Tuesday we'll do our normal podcast for you. We'll have some basketball. Texas actually at the time of recording is tipping off Big 12 uh, play in basketball. So we'll have that for you. But we'll also do a way too early 2019 preview just because we can't stop talking about football. That's what we do. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, before I bang the drum uh, presented by Joe Ruiz, before I get into that, uh, just a quick uh, trivia, Gerald. We'll bang the trivia here. Did you see or do you know off the top of your head who did the Gatorade dump on Tom Herman at the end of the game? I'm going to I'm going to take a stab at this one. Uh, Breck Hager and I got nothing. I really have absolutely nothing. Anthony Wheeler. Uh, no, it was neither of those. It was, in fact, two offensive players, and it was, in fact, two players who are further down on the depth chart than you would imagine. It was a guy named Jordan, but not a little Jordan. It was Jordan Pouncey and John Burt, which is an interesting combination of people for this just to, to be the people who did it. A, Burt's very fast, so we got there quick, I guess. But, again, these are two people on the exact opposite end of the spectrum of Tom Herman. One is a redshirt freshman who hasn't got a chance to break through yet. Looks good in spring game, but and I'm talking Pouncey, of course, um, but hasn't really got his yet. The other is John Burt, a guy who's a senior, a guy who's going to come back and play next year for Tom Herman, who, you know, I think is Burt a Mac Brown guy, right? I think he is the the last Mac Brown player on this roster, um, if I'm not mistaken, was recruited by Brown. Um, but, you know, two opposite ends of the spectrum, Burt sticking around, bought into Tom Herman. Pouncey, a guy who could be disgruntled, could be angry bought into Tom Herman. So it kind of told me something that it was those guys who ran over and were excited and and dumped the Gatorade on their coach. You know, that meant something to me. So I just wanted to to say that I didn't know where to put it. So I put it uh, in the bang the drum. Um, The, the other bang the drum, you mentioned Hager. I I wasn't going to use, but uh, I I think we should mention it. Hager announced who's going to cut his hair. Uh, He's looking for not good, not great, but just all right, all right, all right. That's, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Mr. Rolls and Bowls himself. I'm talking bowl games. Don't 
make any Austin insinuations. The there. Minister of Culture himself. That's right. That's right. Big Matt uh, with the with the shears maybe auditioning uh, for a a part in a future Sweeney Todd or something. We'll see. Um, but is is chopping the locks uh, off of Breck um, and uh, and the final I'll say sub bang the drum that I wanted to do is just a big shout out to the UT social media team. I kind of joked that it's one of the phases of the game, but it really is for recruits and for kind of the way football is in 2018. That's a big part of it. And Matt Lang is the creative director of the university of Texas and has done a fantastic job since he came here. He's actually a law tech grad, so he'll get to uh, go against his, his former team to start next football season. But um, just all the guys on that staff, um, you know, Derek Ochoa, and there's, there's multiple names on that team who've done a, an utterly fantastic job um, all season. Certainly this, week was no exception uh but i loved that they were so nola with their song choices they were all the way in on master p and nola clap and bounce music it was unbelievable i probably it caused me to probably listen to three extra hours of spotify um of new orleans rap because watching one of those videos led me on a a deep dive and i am in no way uh upset about it in fact i would say there's no limit on the joy it brought me wow and so now, after hogging the microphone, I will get to my actual bang the drum. <laughs> if you're okay with that, Gerald. Sorry to... You said uh, you are going to get away clean? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you know, it's... Uh, so here, I'll just jump right in because I have talked for a while. So the, the, I am a proponent of saying the greatest force this side of gravity is SEC bias. It consumes us all. It pulls everything in. It's a black hole. It cannot be stopped. But, but SEC, obviously... Just another conference. Bama, great team. SEC conference, it just means more. Again, if I go back to my old SEC inflation points, maybe Georgia did win this game. Because, I mean, it just means more, and it may just count for more if you if you add the coefficient in. But nonetheless, you look at the four matchups between the Big 12, a clearly inferior conference, and the SEC this season. Um, and that's, of course, Baylor versus Vandy. Vandy, one of the better defenses in the SEC, gave up 668 yards and 45 points to Baylor, who beat the Commodores. Oklahoma State, which is a noted good offense, uh, put up 500-plus yards over Missouri, uh, who are dirty, rotten fleers. Any, any team that flees the Big 12 to go to the SEC is dead to me. I'll leave a pause there. Um, of course, Missouri and wh- whoever the other teams may have been. Um, but they lost. Uh, Oklahoma State took care of them. Um, Texas, obviously 355 points uh, yards and 28 points against uh, the best defense that we saw um, in the SEC this season. Um, and then Oklahoma, who did not win the game, but put up 471 yards and 34 points against, obviously, the best team that's ever played football this year until next year, um, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. So what that tells me is Alabama's very good. They are very, very good. We know that. It is an, It is a known. The rest of the SEC, they're pretty good. So is the Big 12. So is the Big 10. Most years, so is the Pac-12. Sometimes, so are people who aren't in any of those conferences. The SEC is over. Thank you, next. Declaring. That's, that, is a, whew, that is a flag in the ground. I am, if you follow us on Twitter, which you should, at Longhorn Pod, you know that Kyle and I are not above taking shots at the SEC. I don't know if it's that the offenses in the SEC are bad or if the defenses are good. 
On the other side of the coin, you ask the same question about the Big 12, except are the offenses good or the defenses bad? And I think the bowl season has given us a proof source there. So my Bang the Drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz is about Texas being the Joneses and continuing to and always will be the Joneses. Even when Texas is down, they were the Joneses. Now, Texas as Sam Ellinger has said, is back, which is definitely not going to haunt us at any point on Reddit or social media. But the overnight ratings for the Sugar Bowl came in, and ESPN is reporting their own metrics that 13.2 million people tuned in for a 745 kickoff game to watch Texas and Georgia play. Texas is a national brand. Texas is the reason why the Big 12, at least from a media standpoint, now competitively, I've said it before and I've said it again, OU has owned the conference since its inception, and that's neither here nor there. But from a media footprint standpoint, Texas is the reason why the Big 12 is. And I'm sorry to whom that offends, but the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding, and... 13.2 million people tuned in to watch a game that kicked off basically after everybody on the East Coast was figuring out if they want to go to bed or not. Yeah, it's, you can't argue with it. You cannot argue with the fact that, you know, there's four jobs in this country that every coach is trying to get. There's Alabama just because Alabama has the history and, and, you know, the idea of taking over whatever Nick Saban leaves behind and all 68 of his assistant coaches is going to be great for someone. There's it's US... at least self-sustaining for four years. Right, right, right. There's the USC job, because you're in LA, you're recruiting you know, the top of California, it, it has everything, the prestige. There's Ohio State, because they really run the fertile you know, Midwest, and, and you know, if, if, if Urban Meyer um, you know, will, will retire from you, um, you, you know you're, you're or I say, uh, have health problems and then come later and unretire before you retire. No, nonetheless, it's a great job. And then the fourth one is Texas, and I'm not saying it's in that order. In fact, it might be all the way reversed. Uh, obviously, Tom Herman picking Texas over LSU, you know, confirmed that. Um, but, you know, it, it is one of the biggest shows in town. It will always be. Texas being good on top of that, watch out. Everybody, y'all had your chance. Watch out. And maybe maybe it's just because Kyle and I are, are swinging too hard off of a uh, Sugar Bowl victory or not. But I'm, I'm going to say it. The thing I've been afraid to say all year, I'm a believer that Texas is back. I am. Texas is back. They never really left the national media prominence. But as far as competitively goes, Texas is back to where it should be, which, again, is a good thing for the Big 12 and a good thing for college football overall. But that is all we've got for you this week. We thought it would be a short show. It was definitely not. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me in all my takes at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter. You can find me uh, at Texas Pregamer. We'll be done for the uh, for the year. Come back next year. Uh, may have some stuff. Obviously, in the off season, always always good place to uh, to drop some some heaters down there, some hot takes. So uh, check me out on both of those. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at gh goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter. We live tweet all Texas football games, most Texas basketball games, and throw some ridiculousness out there during the week. If you want us to read your tweet on the show, hit us up at Replies of Texas. We got a couple this week, and we'll read them out to you on Tuesday. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, bowls and rolls. Hook them. Hit them with the play number eight.